Sam Petroda is an entrepreneur, an inventor, and a policy leader with the Congress Party, who has held cabinet-level rank. In the 1980s, as an advisor to Rajiv Gandhi, he led the effort to roll out new telecom infrastructure, which essentially laid the foundation for the digitally connected and ever more accessible world that we live in in India today. Because of his role spearheading various modernization campaigns since the 1980s, Mr. Petroda is the rare politician who has commanded respect and admiration from various parties outside of his own. But recently, he was drawn into a noisy furor about his comments and questions about the Balakot attack and other national security issues that came up over the last month. As Mr. Petroda has discovered this month, sometimes the network that you help to create bites back. We'll talk to him about this and his broader vision today. Welcome to The Wire, sir. So, Mr. Petroda, you can be considered one of the founding fathers of I India's digital infrastructure. But recently, unfortunately, you have felt uh, India's digital culture bite back. I'm curious about what your reflections are from the last couple of days and the furor that's been generated by the, op by the BJP over some comments um, on where our digital uh, culture and the media that it carries may have taken us and what the dangers are? Very good question. I really appreciate your asking that because not many people get into these kinds of conversations nowadays. When I started our initial work in India in early 80s, we had 2 million telephones. It used to take 10 years to get a telephone connection. Then we planted the right seeds in terms of digital technology, indigenous development, rural telecom, STDPCOs, digital network, software, and really focused on human capacity. All those seeds that we planted then has now resulted in 1.2 billion mobile phones. Credit goes to government policies, Rajiv Gandhi's political will, young talent, Indian entrepreneurs, right policies, deregulation, privatization, liberalization, lots of things had to come together. However, today, on one hand, we, had one, we have 1.2 billion phones and we are all connected. We are really not using this connectivity properly to really expedite the process of development. We are caught up in amplifying lies. We can do a lot more. We can probably promote education, health delivery systems. We can promote lots of other vocational trainings. And I think this could be the real tool to expedite the process of development. However, what uh, the BJP is credited for is using this exponential growth of digital accessibility as a essentially as an instrument for campaigning. I think uh, one has to give them credit for uh, for better or for no, worse. No, I don't think it is something that deserves credit. Right. Okay, I think if you have the kind of money they spend, yeah. anybody can do it. You know, it doesn't require talent. It requires money. I'm sure they are pumping hell of a lot of money. If somebody was really to analyze how much money BJP is putting into digital channels, government money as well as non-government money. There is something about... Uh, digital Cambridge Analytics that did some work and it was in the media and the allegation was that Congress party had used Cambridge Analytics. So I was in the US and I tweeted 
that I can guarantee that Congress party did not use it because if they had used it, I would know about it. So, just fact. Immediately, all kinds of people from US and India started attacking me, which is okay, which is fine. But they started making stories on my son, okay, that my son was involved, he is in Facebook, he is this, he is that. And my son calls me and said, Dad, what is this? Fabricated stories. It is all lies. Right. I mean, the army of people are being paid to promote lies and it hurts me. Though I would say uh, in maybe the recent year or two, there has been some disarray in the BJP IT cell that has been visible and palp you know, palpable for those of us who work online. The tide shifts sometimes and the Congress also seems to be able to assert uh, itself on social media and on these channels. The question then arises, sir, is would, were we to see a Congress-led government in the next term or in a coming term, um, what would you want, what guarantees could the Congress party give us that it would not misuse this technology, which is only going to get more pervasive and more I powerful. can promise you, we the party of Mahatma Gandhi will not allow lies to be propagated on social media. I think we need to hold people responsible who promote lies. We want to use this media more for human development. We want to use this media to bring everybody together. We are such a diverse country. What happens in Northeast, I am not aware of. I would rather learn about my people, their customs, their culture, their festivals and use social media in a very creative way to bring us together than to separate us. I agree, sir. But good intentions may not be enough. Sometimes the genie is let out of the, out of the bottle and you cannot put it back in. So, so formal mechanisms. Yes. We may have to come up with policies and programs and if we do not create right policies on privacy, piracy, you know, one good example is data. You know, world over today, data is a big, big issue in terms of who owns your data. If we come to power, I would really like to push on policies that you own your data. We could be the first country in the world with come up with a good data policy. Take for example, your health data. Today, in US, you do not own your data. On health data, if it is my health data, I want to use it. I want to give you permission to use it and I want to monetize it. Right. Today, I have no control over my health data. Somebody has my x-ray document, somebody has my medicine information, somebody has my blood pressure information. So, I think when we come to power, we will play an important role in right kind of data policies. Okay. So, uh, let, without going too deep into technicalities, sir, during the previous UPA government, there were plenty of critics who were saying that the other that the other system did not have enough inbuilt safeguards. And because that was then inherited by the BJP, uh, the, the, you know, the, the alarm only grew about, about the way that that data could then be misused and, and perhaps has been misused. So, do you feel that the, that the Congress party did enough to anticipate the data safeguards that were required while you were in power? We did three main things or four main things in digital space while we were in power. One was we enhanced e-governance substantially for passport, for income tax, for uh, courts, there is a whole lot of about 31 
issues in e-governance that we focused on built it. Second, we created national knowledge network that very few people know about or understand. We created 1100 nodes to connect all our universities, all our R&D labs, all over the country. And that knowledge network became the hub and core of e-governance. Then we created a program to connect all our panchayats. And fourth one was Aadhaar. When Aadhaar was created, the idea was to really provide ID to everybody that can be plugged into various things, but more as an option and not as mandatory in terms of you have to have it. If you do not have it, you are doomed. Aadhaar is a great vehicle. Nobody in the history of the world ever could provide electronic ID to 1.2 billion people in a short period of time. And I think UPA government had courage to launch a program, fund a program and implement a program. But on the question of data privacy safeguards, do you think that was left incomplete at the point? That was that probably work in process. Right. That was work in process. Okay. First was to really implement it and then do little more, little more work on data privacy, piracy, all of that issues. But in between social media really took off and that changed everything. Nothing you could have imagined in the 1980s. Absolutely. Or even 10 years ago to be yeah, honest. In the 80s we had no idea of internet also. We had no idea, we did not know how internet worked. I have now spent 55 years in telecom industry. For first 35 years, cost of one line of telephone remained constant at $1000 a line. Telephone instrument, line switching, all that stuff. As a result, we had 1 billion phone in the world in 150 years. Then comes mobile telephony. First with $2000 a line, then 1000, then 500, then 250. As soon as it hits $100 a line, we add 8 billion more phones in 15 years. Incredible. So, understanding this exponential curve is obviously very important for a policymaker to plan for the Absolutely. future. So, um, in the same sense that in the 1980s it would have been impossible to anticipate what we would be dealing with 30 years hence, uh, we are probably facing similar um, challenges that are difficult to even discern grasp, right grasp. now. Are you, are you one of the people who is giving much thought to uh, AI and the kind of implications that I these things will have? I am a lot of time out of hobby and my own interest on artificial intelligence, big data, analytics, robotics, machine learning software and there are some very interesting things one could do. I will give you one simple example. One of the businesses I am involved in the US is to take satellite data and predict the quality of potato. Potato that is still unharvested. Okay. And tell you exactly how many potatoes would be grown, how many onions would be grown, how much wheat would be grown, okay, how much rice would be grown. Right. Now, that is fabulous. Then you can map the entire food chain. Yes. Okay, where would it be stored? How much do you need? See, today, world over, 40 percent of the food is wasted. Yes. In developing world, 40 percent is wasted before it gets to the table. In developed world, 
40 percent is wasted after it gets to the table. So, through IT and all if you can manage food chain, you can reduce cost of food. So, I have a dream, I may not be alive to see that dream, but I have a dream where food cost world over will go down to a level, you will spend 5 percent of your income on food. Today, telephone is almost free. Yes. Okay. I believe 10, 15 years from now, transportation in every city would be free. You take self-driven car, uh, interesting example. Today, we produce world over 50 million cars a year. On an average, every car is sitting idle 90 percent of the time. As a result, you need parking lots, you have mess in traffic. So, when self-driven car comes, first of all, you and I will not own a car. Right. Because you can call whenever you want, go wherever you want to go. That's right. Not fight with your neighbors all the time. Two, you won't need garage, you won't need parking lots, you won't need car insurance. Because they will be constantly in circulation. They will be always and you won't produce 50 million cars, you will produce only 5 million cars. So, the job industry in the car industry will go down completely. Yes. Okay. You won't need that much steel. Yes. You won't need that much leather to make seats. Right. So, these technologies are going to give you very efficient world. Today's world is very inefficient. Everything is inefficient. Everything is a mess. But can I make a slightly controversial suggestion, which is that that mess is in a sense providing employment in many respects. Okay. Those inefficiencies are what keep so now, people that's a in very livelihoods. That is a very good question again, because the real challenge in India and rest of the world today is employment. How do you create jobs for large number of people, meaningful jobs? So, on one hand, we need to create lots of jobs. On the other hand, all these technologies are going to optimize things. So, you will not have jobs. Going back to the example of self-driven car, when that comes, all drivers will be out of business. The idea of job will have to change. Right. Job will not be 40 hours a week. See, today we need to work 40 hours to feed ourselves, to live comfortable life. Yeah. Tomorrow, you will have to work 10 hours to live very good life. But there is a catch. Yes. How do we actually redistribute the returns of these new efficiencies to everybody so that… See, Congress party knows how to generate employment. We have done it in the past. Okay. We did it in telecom, we did it in milk revolution, in green revolution, in space, in atomic energy. And if we come to power, our biggest challenge is going to be how do we create employment in other areas health, education, agriculture, construction, energy, infrastructure, that is the challenge for all of us. But in a sense, we are looking at a future in which employment is uh, dissociated from livelihood and survival in the way that, we are, that, that they are linked today. And it seems like a consensus is building between parties that some kind of income guarantee is a first step towards creating that future. Congress President Mr. Rahul Gandhi announced today a very bold and creative scheme for minimum income guarantee. It is a first step. A major debate that emerges from this and uh, you as a technical minded policy person will be, uh, will have views on this. 
is that a minimum income guarantee is more affordable for the budget, but also much more difficult to implement because in a sense, you're addressing each individual's income and trying to make up the deficit. Whereas a universal basic income, which is the alternative proposal, is one that just distributes a fixed payment to everyone regardless of their income level, which removes much of the, um, of the targeting errors and the targeting issues. What are your views on which, I think we need, it, what's your preference? Okay. If you had to pull one out of the hat, which one would I you? I would say we need to experiment. We don't know the real answers. World doesn't know the real answer. So we need to start somewhere and learn from our, you know, experiences. But we need good data. We need good monitoring. Okay. And today we have technology to do all that. We didn't have technology five, ten years ago to do all that, you know. Today we can do a lot of good stuff in terms of monitoring, analyzing and all that. And we'll have to fine tune it as we go along. Okay. But the challenge still remains. On one hand, it is minimum income. Other hand, to start development from bottom up as opposed to top down, which is what Modi model is. And three, to be very creative in finding jobs of tomorrow, meaningful jobs. So let me ask you, sirs, if uh, all goes well for the Congress party <coughs> and um, you and the, and the party returns to, uh, to a place in the government and you return to a, an, an office, perhaps another cabinet rank office as you've held before, what would be the first thing that you would like to place on your desk in terms of what you want India to be working on? First of all, I'm too old. I'm 77 years old. I don't need a job. I want to help young people. I want a young team and I want to be there for them if they need me. If they don't need me, I don't need to be there. But I have had the experience and I want to share that with everybody. I want India to be better for my children and their children and their children. Well, thank you. I mean, that's a very optimistic vision, which it's rare to have uh, the, to, uh, to be hearing these days. And I hope that whatever government is formed um, come June 2019, it will draw on some of your expertise and your experience. Thanks. That's uh, Mr. Sam Petroda speaking on, on issues that are more relevant to him and more relevant to India than uh, the issues in which, in which context you may have heard his name recently. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Petroda. Thank you. So nice of you. To receive instant updates on all videos from The Wire, click the subscribe button and hit the bell icon. Pay to support independent journalism. Click the link in the description and choose the amount you want to pay.